following announcement has been paid for by the WZWA Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WZWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California and Fury. What a joy and privilege to be with you all once again. And here today, tonight for me, today for my guest, it is my distinct honor right here, right now. You know, I've had a whole bunch of Florida guys on this show, you know, guys that really... Uh, paid their dues and worked their asses off back in the day. And uh, they've always got some great stories. And right here, right now, I've got one of those guys here. He's former five-time IPW light heavyweight champion, former NWA Florida junior heavyweight champion and SCW cruiserweight champion. He is the king of filth. He is the madman. He is Jet Jaguar. How are you, my friend? Hey, Carl. Thanks for having me. Wow, what an intro, man. I don't think I can I can talk. <laughs> That's pretty sweet. <laughs> Uh, thank you for the kind words and thanks for having me. No worries, bro. Um, that's that's probably what I'm most famous for is the introduction, the build up, and uh, so yeah. I appreciate that you like that. But uh, bro, uh, great to have you on the show. And the, the usual first question is, you know, when you were a young man, how did you become a fan of professional wrestling? Um, I would say probably the early '80s, like '85 or excuse me, '82, '83. Um, I'm originally from Pennsylvania, but we had Georgia Championship Wrestling on TBS, and that immediately hooked me. I was an NWA guy, Georgia guy, Mid Atlantic NWA guy for most of the time. Uh, lived in the WWE territory, but um, definitely pulled more towards the uh, the NWA style. Um, and uh, the hard-nosed angles and storylines that they had at the time. Probably uh, first feuds that really kind of caught my interest were uh, Tommy Rich, Buzz Sawyer, around that time frame, uh, Flair Race, the uh, beginning of the Starcade, uh, that time period. Excellent, excellent. Well, that's some, that's a fun time to be a fan of pro wrestling, that's for sure. Uh, but another fun thing would be when you, you start getting a little bit older and you happen to live in Pennsylvania, uh, and you happen to come across a company known as ECW. Uh, you kind of uh, gave me a little, a few notes before we had this interview, letting me know some of the things that took place in your life. And from November 94 to January 96, you attend a ton of extreme championship wrestling events at the ECW arena. I'm incredibly jealous, but knowing that I have to know <clears throat> your fondest memories of being at those shows. What did you witness? Because there was a lot of craziness back then. Um, it's funny because I was a diehard fan for like forever, but in the early nineties, 93, 94, uh, my, uh, love for the business just kind of waned. It kind of sucked. It was a real terrible time. There wasn't a lot going on. Um, but a buddy that I met in college and I'm still friends with to this day, um, worked for the PWI magazine, the after mags, um, Eddie Edwards was his name at the time. And, uh, we got talking and he was doing photos for, or doing ringside shots for the ECW shows. And he kind of would tell me about it. He's like, come on, let's go. We go every couple of weeks. We go down, we have a good time. I'm like, all right, let me go check it out. Um, and then once we got there, it was like, holy shit, what is this? This is incredible. The fans, the atmosphere, um, the angles, the athletes, the wrestlers that they brought in that they didn't have from anywhere else. Uh, Benoit, Malenko, Guerrero, some of my favorites, Mysterio. Um, 
Cactus Jack, just seeing them do things that were insane. Um, the brawls through the crowds, um, you would, you, you, whatever craziness you can imagine or think of, you would have seen at one point in the arena. Definitely a highlight of my life. And at that point, it was like, oh, I, the love for wrestling kind of came back. And I was like, wow, wrestling actually can be good. And then not long after that, 96, and so the Attitude Era and all that started, and it kind of got fun again. But uh, 94, 93-ish, yeah, not the, not the best times in wrestling. No, I know what you mean. And I know like the kind of the genesis of hardcore style wrestling had come in, in dribs and drabs here and there over the years. And I know Japan was quite big with it, but, uh, you know, I kind of always say ECW is like that evolution of uh, wrestling to be real adult style content uh, and, you know, an evolution of the wrestling business at the time. Uh, even though they're just a, they were a small little federation in Philly, but look, it speaks for itself. Everyone's still talking about it today. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and so, anybody, anybody, anybody that hasn't had a chance to go through uh, 1995 and maybe the first few months of 96, BCW, um, as a student of the game, you got to check it out because those are some of the best action, best cards that, that have been in a long time. Definitely, definitely. And uh, speaking of 1996, uh, I know you, you moved to Orlando, Florida. You got uh, a bachelor's in marketing uh, and you yep. wanted to uh, get, get in with Disney. Um, what was, uh, you know, what was your passion with uh, something like that? Uh, where did that come from? Um, what originally happened was I got my degree um, in Pennsylvania. I moved down here just as a fresh start to get away from the cold. Um, get away from the area. It was I didn't see myself going anywhere. I had to do something. I had to sort of recreate myself, do something different. So um, I decided I had an opportunity down here to crash at a guy's place for a little bit and wound up coming in and figured, well, you know what, let me see if I can use my degree within to get into Disney. And I, when I came down here, I got a job. I worked in the worker compensation department for 40 hours during the day. And at night, they had uh, a nighttime parade. And I don't know how or another, but I wound up trying it out for it and was Pluto in the parade for a little while. Um, kind of a strange experience, so to speak, but it uh, didn't last long. I was 24 at the time. Everybody there that was doing it was in high school and stuff, so it definitely wasn't a good fix. Um, but in the meantime, I found out about some schools here in the, in the Florida area. And I was just a big mark at the time, just a big fan. Um, wanted to be around it, and I found out, I, I'm not sure whose school it was, it was some, some ham and eggers, there's a bunch of them that have pop-up schools in the area, um, and was going to go to that, and then re then found out about Dean Lanko's school here, and I was like, oh my god, like, this is a guy I just really was watching him, and you know, Eddie, and stuff like that, it's, I'm like, if I'm going to get trained by somebody, this is who I want to get trained by, so I found, I got in touch with him, um, I came over to Tampa, and I started training three days a week, uh, running from Orlando and back and forth. It's about a two-hour ride um, back and forth to train. And kind of just after I started doing it, I just doing it to get in shape, just doing it to roll around in the ring a little bit and actually kind of got good at it. Um, and at the time, a lot of the veterans and a lot of the students that they had there they took a liking to me because I wasn't afraid to try anything. I wasn't afraid to get in there with the big guys. I wasn't afraid to get my ass kicked. And I did a lot of times. <laughs> um, but uh, they instantly kind of, I got a lot of respect from them. And uh, so I was just like, you know, this is a, uh, I was coming here three times a week and was tired of the tourism and Disney. 
that definitely wasn't for me. Uh, I came over to Tampa. I got a day job uh, during the day, and at night I was training, and um, that sort of took off from there and uh, kind of never looked back. And um, once I came, I came over to Tampa, it was full on as training as always for probably about two good years um, in and out of the camp. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that would have been something. And, 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 you know, you bring up being Pluto. Uh, I've had, I've had the Godfather on the show. I've had Jeff Jarrett. I've had a whole bunch of guys who've had a lot of famous gimmicks, but right here, right now we have somebody who's had the most famous gimmick uh, portrayed that. So uh, that's a, that's a tip of the cap to you, sir. Uh. <laughs> well, if, as long as, as long as we're going on famous gimmicks, um, where I got my name from, Jet Jaguar, was also uh, a, a gimmick. Um, for people that are Godzilla fans, it was a movie he was, uh, Godzilla was his tag team partner, was Jet Jaguar, and he was this Power Ranger looking weirdo um, robot, but really liked the name and kind of used it. And then and it was kind of funny because when I started using it, I'd be like, Jet Jaguar from like Godzilla? I'm like, yep, that's where I got it. But that, that's, that's, my, that's where I got my gimmick name from. <laughs> Yeah, no, I noticed that when I uh, searched you on YouTube and to look at some of your stuff, uh, I noticed I had to type in the word wrestler afterward. Uh, yes, uh-huh. <laughs> otherwise, you're gonna, or otherwise, Jet Jaguar for wrestler, or you're just getting Jet Jaguar and the robot and Godzilla and everything like that. <laughs> well, when I interviewed when I interviewed Air Paris, I I searched his name and I got an airline. So, uh, <laughs> um, okay. So, like, uh, tell me a little bit about Dean and what you learned most from being trained by him. Uh, I know that you know you being your size at the time, practicing with you would help him later on with his matches with Rey Mysterio, especially in that early period in WCW where they were really getting that cruiserweight division underway. What did you learn most from the man of a thousand holds? Uh, he, he was the absolute best. If you were going to get trained by anybody at this particular time, there wasn't anybody in the country that you could get trained by. There were two good, there were two good schools. There were his and there was uh, Shawn Michaels over on the uh, West coast. But if you wanted to get trained by anybody, Dean was, the way to do it. Um, when you came in, he said, there's no promises. There's no guarantees. There's no, um, you got to do this all on your own. I'm going to give you the tools and basically you're going to go from it. I'm not guaranteeing jobs or anything like that. I get the fact that he was probably burnt in the butt a couple of times. And that's probably why, which is totally understandable. Um, but he gave us the tools. Um, he, I think he, I would say, sort of took a liking to me just because I was probably at the time one of the smallest ones there um, and was just not afraid to get in there and do whatever it was supposed to. And it was, I started in March 96 and uh, May, June 96, he was working uh, programs with Ray Mysterio. So at this point, he would be like, hey, come here, Brian, I want to do this thing with Ray. And a lot of the style, my high flying stuff, I sort of took from Ray. But I got the experience from when Dean and, and Ray were doing that, the pay-per-views and they had their feud going at that time. I was lucky enough to work with Dean and like some of the things that they did, he kind of worked with me on to kind of perfect it. And it was definitely a pleasure and uh, getting trained by him was one of the coolest things. Absolutely. Speaking of that, did he ever make you uh, get in the ring with him and practice that, that gut buster he would do off the second rope? No, luckily I was not, and I was fortunate enough not, not to get that. 
<laughs> that's just one move I always remember being like, whoa, that's that's a tough yeah. one right there. <laughs> um, I but, don't know how the, <laughs> sorry, what was that? I said I still don't know how the so the boys take that bump. I, I'm sad, yeah, <laughs> it makes me shake my head. <laughs> uh, a lot of great talent coming through the school there. I mean, you got the Shane twins, Tony Mama Luke, uh, Chad Collier, Jeremy Lopez, uh, you know, mm-hmm. a whole heap of guys. Uh, do you have any stories of, uh, you know, what it was like getting to know these guys and, you know, and, and work together? Um, it was, it was really cool because I came down and pretty much started the school at the same time as the Shane twins and the Shane twins were, and the big guys in the school, and then Tony Mama Luke came through, which was one of the, the smallest, toughest guys that you'll ever want to see. Um, Chad Collier, Jeremy Lopez, and all of us were kind of working here. They were basically we were sort of a class at that time, if you wanted to say it was a class. Um, and the twins always wanted to do what we were doing. They wanted to do the Hurricane Ranas and the craziness. Um, so getting to work with them and, you know, they worked our style and we worked with them. Um, having the different teachers that Dean had uh, come through there at the time when he was on the road with WCW was a pleasure too. And we always had awesome athletes coming through there. Um, I had the chance to, once in a while, I had a chance to work with uh, ODD, the originally Dudley Dudley, um, uh, Mike Mar- previous Mike Marcello, um, Rick, Rick Thames, uh, Gangrel. Eddie Guerrero, um, all different kind of people would kind of come in and out. I'm sure there's tons of names that I'm not recalling at this moment, but um, kind of gave us a taste of working with everybody, all different styles. Um, but everybody that came through there had a certain respect for the business that you really didn't see anywhere else. And um, going through the school, you, you gained a respect for the business, but also it was like, you know, these people that didn't get trained or backyard trained, it was like, mm-hmm you're going to do this you got to do it the right way absolutely yeah and um sorry continue so uh a big part of when we first started um we all kind of were mostly on the cards together i wrestled mama luke a ton um i wrestled uh, jeremy lopez and chad collier a bunch of times we um one of the local guys had a, a show that he ran outside every so often um mr frankie reyes and he he come to Dean's school and you know once he felt that you know the guys were ready they he would start using them that would be kind of like the beginning of how I got going um it was around that same time I had a chance to meet uh speaking of madman uh Ron Nimi um I'm, I'm sure you've heard of some of his stories he's quite a madman um but he would come to the school too looking for guys at, as far as managing to work with he was putting together some shows himself and uh he lived nearby, and um, we got to be very good friends with him and my uh, ex-wife and, and friends at the time. And we we hung out a lot. We went on the roads. We were kind of like a partners in crime for a while. Uh, at that particular time, I was not good on the mic and couldn't talk really. So Ron did all the speaking. I did the wrestling. Um, but it kind of rubbed off over time, and eventually I got good on the stick as well. Not like him. Um, but wasn't afraid to speak and whatnot. And uh, so me and him, we had a lot of crazy stories together. Me and him did a lot of traveling. Um, the twins uh, were also a big part of it. We were on the road a lot with them. Uh, but the shows, um, when Ron started running IPW in 96 through early 2000, it had that ACW feel to it. 
it had that vibe in the small building is packed. We packed people in there. It was like a, it was an oven. It was just so hot. But we had the hardcore. We had the light heavyweights. We had the, the scientific. We had the tags. We had a little bit of everything, not just the hardcore stuff. We had that. And that's kind of what was featured. But that wasn't what the whole show was about. Um, Ron put together a great promotion. That was uh, too bad that the promotion's no longer around. But during that time frame, it was uh, the hottest one in Florida, without a doubt. Right. So, uh, like, how, how did you know from when you were part of it uh, in the earlier days? Uh, how did IPW Hardcore Wrestling kind of evolve as time went by? How many you know days a week were you guys putting on shows? Uh, you know, what were some of your biggest shows? I, I I don't know a lot about the company. I've I've just seen some matches here and there. Um, so mm-hmm. if you could give me a little bit of a history lesson, I suppose, uh, uh, as to how the company moved along during this time period. Sure. Um, we first started running just house shows um, pretty much throughout uh, the, around the Tampa area uh, in Florida. Um, but then as the company got bigger, um, it started to expand. We got down into the Miami area. We went up north a little bit, uh, north Florida. Um, but we primarily were around the center of the state in the Tampa, uh, Tampa area. Uh, we got TV in, I believe it was 98. So we were on TV. We had a late night slot. Um, uh, I believe it was the Fox affiliate um, here in Tampa at 2 a.m. in the morning. And it was it was just the how, how we originally started and it, the insanity of each show used to build upon each other. And there was always an insanity going on. Um, funny story. There's, there was a, an incident at one of our friend's houses. This is a we're late night partying um, after a show on a Friday night. Um, we were it was about three o'clock and the cops got called and they came to the party party where we were at and there were some people that were causing a ruckus and uh our ipw boys kind of took care of things but when the cops got there um they're like holy shit we were just back at the uh, we were just back watching you guys at two two o'clock oh my god oh my there we are and it was our reputation preceded us i guess you could say um but we would get a bunch of people. We, we, we had a training school over in St. Pete where we would have uh, trainings uh, for a good part of the, the week. And then usually we'd have shows, I don't know, three, three maybe four over the course of the month. Um, primarily in St. Pete, we usually have two, but we would have some in the surrounding areas. So um, not a ton, but you know, probably over the course of the month, four or five shows a month. And it just kind of grew. Um, there was, uh, we had a lot of big shows up in Crystal River, which was one of our home bases as well, about an hour and a half north of Tampa, uh, where we got a really big following, kind of a cult following. And a lot of people that came out to see us um, really clung to us and really kind of became part of the family. When, when you went to see a show, it wasn't just like, oh, you went to see a show. You're, it's like you're going to see your family. You're going to party with your friends. You're going to, going to hang out and have some beers with your family and talk trash. Um, it was that sort of atmosphere, and that was kind of, uh, um, we had many of our best shows up in the Crystal River area. Um, a fun, funny, funny story on that. So we came in, and it was, a, they were going to have, it was going to be a three-way uh, uh, ladder match, and the title was going to be up from however they would hang it from the ceiling, and it was in this old VF, no, it was a, not a VFW, it was, it was, I don't know some kind of hall but anyhow the ceilings were monster monster high I, I don't even know how they got the belt up there 
Um, but any, but anyhow, so they got there and we got, it was going to be me, uh, Jeff Peterson and Mike Quackenbush in a three-way. Um, we all got in there, got in the ring, got in the ring, kind of just was like, all right, ready to go. And the belt dropped from the middle of the, from the ceiling, dropped down, <laughs> flopped right, right in the center of the ring. And we're like, oh shit. Like, well, now what do we do? Uh, the belt sitting here right in the middle of the ring. So um ron did some finagling and i don't know how he got it it was it like one of these army places so there was this forklift it was like a an army like forklift that they brought in from the outside and they brought the forklift up and we hung the title off of one of the forklift things <laughs> so we were battling on this monster forklift um in the match and it kind of was known as the for, the first forklift ladder match um, but it was, it was, once that belt dropped, man, it was like the heart dropped, but dropped right in my stomach. Like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Now, what are we going to do? <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Did that footage of that anywhere? <laughs> um, yeah, the few, oh, I can send you a link. It's very grainy. Um, a lot of the footage that we had at that time was, uh, all the, uh, you know, um, VHS, the quality we have wasn't the best up until probably, um, 99 when we started uh, we had better uh, equipment but if you go to on YouTube uh, IPW Hardcore Wrestling um, it's a site I manage there's over 2200 videos on there playlists of all of our guys um, I was able to get all the footage from Ron and my buddy Ed back in the day and digitalize it um, so it was so that we can have it it's preserved and it's not just old VHS tapes everywhere and I have a catalog pretty pretty nicely Oh, well, that's good. Yeah, no, there'll be nothing worse than, you know, saying that's a VHS, like getting too old. And then by the time, you know, even WCW stuff that they had stored away, they yeah. have to put up a uh, disclaimer sometimes on the WWE network saying it's, the, the, there's massive issues with some of this stuff. So, yeah, you got to yeah. get it all digitalized. I just got all of my uh, family's Christmas tapes from like the, the 90s up until the 2000s. And I'm going to get that digitalized okay, before, before shit goes it's wrong. Good. And, <laughs> yeah, and and, it, and it's a project. It's it's not the easiest uh, endeavor, as you're saying. Definitely, definitely. Um, okay, uh, so I wanted to kind of scale back just a little bit because I, I like to ask people about the first match that they had in front of a crowd, and um, you know, what was the first uh, performance that you had in front of a crowd? How did you feel? Were you nervous? Did you hit it out of the park? How did it go? Um. Definitely sort of nervous, but so this is in the middle of the state, Arcadia. Um, it was on like this farm-like thing. Uh, I don't even know. And I didn't quite have all my gear yet at the, po at the point. And it was cold outside in Florida. I remember that. And there must have been uh, maybe a total of 10 people in the audience. <laughs> Um, but, uh, I remember not really messing anything up. And after I got in the back, they said eh, it was okay, um, for a first time. But, um, after that, getting in front of a bigger crowd, um, with the gear on and, and looking the part, it was a lot easier. One of the things being stressed is you got to look the part. You know, don't, don't, there's so many guys out there, they're wearing t-shirts and, you know, uh, baggy jeans and sneakers. I mean, if you're going to be a wrestler, you gotta, you gotta look the part. Um, at that point, when I had my first match, I just didn't have my stuff yet. Uh, but it was a, a unique experience. I didn't get hurt. The guy didn't get hurt. 
and we got out alive. So that was an all plus. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so uh, I, I would, if I'm interviewing somebody that was connected with the Shane twins at any point in time, I'm going to have to ask them about partying stories. Um, there has to be times where you guys are having a party or, or out in the town. Do you have any sort of stories here that you can help me throw my good friends, the Shane twins under the bus? I definitely won't throw them under the bus, but, um, but they, um, we had some, we had some good times, um, in our group with Ron. Um, it was, we were known as 911 and 911 Incorporated. Ron was the mouthpiece. The Shanes were their big monster tag team. And then, then there was me, the cruiserweight, uh, loudmouth crazy guy. Um, so we, I, we hung out a lot. Um, they, we, we all partied. Um, they used to bounce a lot. They used to, they used to crack me up about stories about their uh, their days bouncing. Uh, some of the stories I would just sit there and laugh and just be like entertained by their their antics, the two of them. And as they're uh, you know tossing people out of bars for for being you know being unruly and such. Um, but um, really enjoy those. Those are two great guys. Um, guys, I'm glad I had a chance to work with and kind of come up around. Um, it's, it's sad that they didn't get more of a shot when they did in w, uh, WWE. I uh, really wish they did. Uh, I think they dropped the ball on that one. But, you know, that's kind of what happens in the, in the business. So. Yeah, I could sit here for the next five, six hours and rattle off names that they could have made money from. Uh, I mean, come on, they're course. two twins that are jacks of the gills. Come on, you can make money out of them. <laughs> I, it's, 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 it's a no-brainer, but, you know, for for whatever reasons, it didn't happen. Yeah. But those are great guys. I still, I still see those guys occasionally. Um, both looking good. Both in great shape. Um, yeah, it looks like they did. It looks like they got probably hop back in the ring today. Absolutely, definitely. Um, so I know that there were attempts to uh, go to New York, as people like to say, uh, at uh, you know during these times. Your attempts to, I mean, get a tryout or a dark match with the World Wrestling Federation. You put a, put together a tape. You sent it through. Uh, how far did that go? Uh, and what were the conversations like? Um, my my roommate and at the time a guy I graduated high school with Ed. He was also doing all of our digital stuff, so he was able to put together some promos for me. Ah, probably about four or five that I'd sent over the years uh, to the to the promotions. Um, one of the first ones I got back was from Bruce Pritchard um, in 98. Um, it was a nice thing on letterhead and whatnot. Just say we received your tape. Um, kind of a, you're a little small. Keep it. Keep at it. And, you know, give it a shot in another couple of years and we'll reevaluate it. Um, so at this point, at that point, I really didn't expect much. Because I quite honestly, wasn't really quite ready at that point. But um, it's just a matter of getting your name out there and just, just banging away and doing it until till somebody gets noticed. Right, yeah, because this is another thing I wanted to ask you because, I mean, we, we spoke a little bit about Dean versus Rey Mysterio in WCW on pay-per-view and that cruiserweight division during that time from like 96 towards, you know, 97, 98, it really starts to heat up and you see more guys come in like a Super Calo and a Psychosis, a Juventu Guerrera, Hector Garza. I could rattle off a million names, but you being a guy who is of, of a smaller size of a cruiserweight style, a high flyer, um, 
were you getting excited thinking, okay, cool, this is becoming more of a thing now, whereas before the smaller guys, you might have seen like a one, two, three kid, but, you know, there weren't that many of the smaller guys that were being put on um, national television. Um, how did it make you feel seeing this? And did you think to yourself, okay, like there is an opportunity for a guy my size and my style in the United States? Um, actually, you hit it right on the head. Um, it was just like, wow, okay, all of a sudden now there is a, there's a, there's, there's a desire. There's people looking, there are people wanting to see the smaller guys. Um, how I wound up getting a shot in WCW in 99, they started to, they wanted to expand their cruiserweight division. And there was rumors they either wanted to expand the cruiserweight division, or there was also a rumor that they were going to have a, a kind of like a, a show aimed for more kids uh, with a lot of the cruiserweights doing high flying stuff. Um, neither of them never took hold, um, but they, I, they hired on about 10 of the best cruiserweights at that time in the country um, trying to bolster the division. So it was like, oh, yeah, here it is. And then, you know, after I got signed, it seemed like it would be something that was going to be for a while. And uh, they definitely people wanted to see the high flyers. There's more excitement with that, those 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 guys than most of the guys on the card, even though they weren't featured as such. Right. Yeah, because that is, uh, you know, I just had Shannon Moore on the show a few months ago and we talked a little bit about uh -huh. this because he was one of those guys that Canyon, um, he was uh, asked to get. It was like 21 guys. I, I don't know how many ended yep. up getting in the end, but um, yeah. <laughs> this was the go-to guy and um you know he helped get a lot of these guys on the roster um so i guess how am i going to ask this question uh, getting in contact with canyon how do you find out he's the guy to go to how do you find your way in in into getting uh, in touch with the company and um you know how does that all come about if i recall i think it was dean just saying that hey they're looking for cruiserweights and this is there's there's a want for this. And I believe he gave us uh, Canyon's number. And then I reached out to him um, and I, you know, explained who I was and whatnot. He, I sent him a promo tape. Um, he loved my promo tape and um, uh, Jamie Noble, uh, Jeremy Lopez, uh, Tony Mamaluke were all featured on that. And he instantly wanted to get promos of them. So we all got sort of signed together um, due to the promos going up, up to Chris. Um, you'd mentioned Shannon. I believe he was one of the first, him and I think Chris Daniels, of the group that they kind of brought in. We were kind of towards the back end when they brought him in. But I think, if I'm not mistaken, that was when they were making uh, Ready to Rumble or that one movie, I forget the name of it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, like, <laughs> that Canyon was working with, and uh, those guys were helping out as extras, him and Chris Daniels. Um, so I didn't get really get a chance to, at that part, see them guys. Um, but it definitely at that point looked like there was going to be a lot of room for expansion with the, with it in the cruiserweight roster, um, at least at that particular point. Right. Um, and I got to bring this up. It's the 11th of July, 1999. Um, and I, I, there's also another question I want to ask before I talk about you getting signed to WCW. Um, but it's WCW Bash of the Beach 99 at the National Car uh, Rental Center in Sunrise, Florida. Um, uh, yourself and uh, Jamie Howard, Jamie Noble, uh, take on Jeremy Lopez uh, and CG Arfi. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. Um, 
that is actually Tony Mamalu, but yes. Oh, okay, right, excellent. Okay, uh, yeah. Now we've got that clear. Uh, so you guys um, have this tag team match, dark match. This is huge. I mean, Bash at the Beach '99. This is a, a massive pay per view. Um, please tell me about this experience when you first of all when you find out that you're going to be brought in, entering the building having the match and also the fallout, the, you know, the response from everyone backstage. Um, it was definitely an interesting day. So when we got there, um, at this point, I'm 24. I'm pretty much the oldest one of the group. Everyone else is a little bit younger than me. And we all look like kids. Um, we get to the building and it was almost like, what are you guys sort of doing here? Um, we're like, oh, we're here to, you know, we don't really know our way around at this point. So we got in and, um, one of the first people we came across was Mr. Perfect, uh, Kurt Henning. And he basically just looked at us like, what the hell are these kids doing here backstage? And he wasn't the most friendly at that particular point. So we got in there and we had our match. And beforehand, they were basically, uh, Chris Canyon was like, Eric's going to watch your match beforehand. Um, you know, and we'll, we'll, we'll kind of go from there. So we went out and we had, a phenomenal match. So the referee came back and he said it was one of the best dark matches he had seen at that point, which was a tremendous compliment. Um, we were all pumped up. We're just all, yeah, yeah, we just did good. We did good. And uh, Canyon came back and said, yeah, Eric was in a meeting. He didn't see your match. <laughs> like, oh, really? It's like, shit. So um, they rescheduled, they had another one for the following night on Nitro. So that was down in near Miami. We drove up to Jacksonville or, or vice versa. And uh, we had our, our second dark match on WCW Nitro. And luckily, Eric did see that one. And uh, the match went great. And after we came back, he basically said, welcome to WCW. Um, and that was the beginning of that. And it was just like, wow, like, holy shit, this is actually happening. And um, that's kind of what started the ball rolling. And at that point, everybody backstage was really nice to us um, after they actually saw and knew that we belonged there and actually we could work um, and that we were, you know, students at Dean's and it wasn't just, you know, some kids walking in here. Um, the respect came. Excellent to hear. Excellent. Uh, so I know before you end up probably being sent to the power plant there had to be a moment where you know you would have to leave ipw um you know how did it feel having to leave something that you were such a big part of during that time and um you know that at the time that final moment where when you were uh, in the ring there saying goodbye to the fans um it was it was definitely an odd moment something that i didn't really see happening as quickly as it did it was in like june or july of 99 um, we had a show, Ron had brought all the boys out from uh, the back. Um, they were on the card and basically kind of a farewell, you know, um, one of our own finally got to the big leagues and, you know, we're happy for him and it was that sort of thing. So I really, everybody sort of, uh, you know, you know, seemed, seemed like they were going to miss me and it was sad leaving. Um, and that was when I made the trek up to Atlanta. Um, didn't want to, didn't want to move up to Atlanta at all. I love Tampa, the Tampa area. Um, didn't care much for the Atlanta area, but that's kind of where I headed uh, once they signed me and wanted me up at the power plant. Right. Um, so, okay. 
we got to get to it, the power plant. Uh, we, I've had a bunch of guys on the show that have been there, Chuck Palumbo. I've had Alan Funk on the show. I've had a whole different yep. uh, bunch of sides of the story. Now it's time to get yours. Uh, Buddy Lee Parker, Paul Orndorff, you know, Pez Watley. I don't know if he's still around at the time, but uh, please tell me yep. the first day that you're there at the power plant. So it was weird as far as where we came up when me, like the four of us, was me, Jamie, uh, Mama Luke, and Jeremy. We were actually signed to contracts where most of the guys that were in the power plant at the point did not have a contract like we did. And they were the big guys, all the big guys you just mentioned, Palumbo, uh, Jindrak. Uh, there was some monster guys there at the time. Um, and here come these four little guys that looked like kids coming into the camp. So, of course, they're going to do what everybody does. And it, it, it's a boot camp. It really is. And Buddy Lee Parker, uh, he ran that thing. And we were not expecting what we got into. We knew how to wrestle. We could do all that. But the cardio and the conditioning was like like nothing that anyone has ever. I have not been in the Army or the, the service, but I would imagine this is about as close to a boot camp as you can get. Um, people just passing out, people puking, seeing they would bring in big football players that were trying out and they would break them down. And I, I saw Buddy Lee Park just one of the big dude came, he was puking, he keeps puking in this garbage can. He came over, kicked the can out, knocked the guy on his head, get out of here. He did not put up with, yeah. Um, so and and honestly, I, a lot, I think a lot of the bigger guys were like, why are these guys here at this point? And we really had to bust our ass to get everybody's respect. We were the small guys in a monster world. Everyone there was double, triple our size. Um, they tried to break us. And to be honest, I don't know how they did not, because um, I don't think any of us were really ready for it when, it when it hit us. But all four of us kept at it and got their respect, got Buddy Lee Parker's respect. Um, everybody's respect, probably, but Paul Order, because he just plain out didn't like the small guys. Um, but got everybody's respect, and uh, say I made it through without quitting or failing, or you know. But the power plant was a doozy. You would get there first thing in the morning, the cardio. Then you'd get in the ring, and there's more cardio, and just going over matches. And it was it, it was an eight-hour day of running, bumping running, bumping, getting screamed at, um, uh, Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker barking orders all left and right. <laughs> he was insane, but it took a while, but he, but we got his respect too, because, uh, because of what we did and kept at it and didn't give up. But, um, he was definitely unique. It was definitely unique. Absolutely. And, and I have to ask if you can remember, when was the first time you thought that there was a moment, okay, you know what? I think Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker just showed me that he respects me. Was there something that happened, a day, a moment? Um, I, I wouldn't say it was a day or a moment. Um, he just, uh, he used to call me Opie. He, he, used to, he was always, oh, Opie, Opie, Opie. Um, I, I think it was just the, a matter of keeping at it and realizing, wow, these aren't just kids or they're busting ass and you know, they're tough. These are tough kids. Um, I think it was just, I don't know. I was there about six months. I was about towards the, I guess he just puts up the front until he really gets to know you and see that you're an actual, you know, you're a professional and that you're really trying to make this. And 
you, you've got what it takes to at least make it through this part here. So it, it took a while for his respect, but uh, um, it's one I look back at and I was like, if I can get this guy's respect in the ring, then I can pretty much get just about anybody. That's what I would think too. Uh, when you get his respect, then you know you've done something well. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so this is a big kind of moment for you, um, I would say. And, and during this time, I'd say from about September to uh, when WCW Saturday Night ended, I guess that must have been April 2000 before they turned it into a morning clip show. Uh, they were bringing a lot of the power plant guys in week in and week out. Um, and you, I've seen every episode of it, so I could see that okay, like there's definitely there's been a moment here where they're like, okay, let's bring all these guys up to work on the Saturday Night Worldwide tapings. Um, it's November 9th, 99 at the Assembly Hall in uh, Champaign. Illinois, you work with Elix Skipper. I watched this match earlier tonight. Awesome match. Awesome match. Thank you. Tell Thank me you. a little bit about this one, bro. I mean, this must have been a I mean, I know you worked the dark matches on the Bash at the Beach and on Nitro, but you actually you're getting to be on something that's going to be on television now. WCW Saturday night, the mothership. How did it feel? And what did you how did you feel about the match? Uh, first off, uh, working with Elix, he was such a professional. He was so good. Um, at his athletic ability and whatnot is just off the chart. Uh, what a guy. It was definitely a pleasure working with him. But we, we got set. We were going to have our match. And one of the things that they tell you is, you know, try to get feedback from people. Um, my, the match after mine was a Chris Benoit match. And Chris Benoit is one of the guys I tried to emulate and kind of trying to be like um having his style eddie dean's that style um and his match was before my or right after mine so um he knew me through 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 dean and i went up and i was like chris i said will you mind watching my match and critique it for me he's like yeah sure no problem no problem i was like okay so we went out we had our match me and elix um as you said it was a good match um one uh it was a, a tv match at two names we, we had, had a decent amount of time um, but the funniest part about it is after we came back, Arn Anderson got up and jumped in our faces and started yelling, why didn't you take it home? Why didn't you take it home? And both me and Elix are like, we didn't hear him tell us. And he goes, he told you multiple times to take it home, like three or four times to take it home. And me and Elix are looking at each other like, I I'm sorry, I didn't hear it to you. And he's like, no, I didn't hear it either. And so I don't know if we were that wound up or we whatever the fact, but he's just like, he's like, and now your match went over three minutes. Now you got to an answer to Chris Benoit. His match is next. You're going to be cutting his match by three or four minutes. He goes, you had a good match, but you got to listen. You got to watch it. I'm like, oh shit. Okay. So Chris went out there. He had his match and I'm like, oh boy, I got to go. I apologize to Chris Benoit here. I'm like, Ugh. So afterwards he, I saw him, I went up and I was just like, Hey, uh, Chris, I wanted to talk to you. And he's just like, Hey, I just wanted to say, I watched your match. I liked your aggression. I liked what you did. He goes, keep at it. You look good. And I'm just like, ah, like, you know, like all proud of myself. And I'm like, yeah, I, uh, Arn got on me about going over about three, four minutes. And he goes, ah, don't worry about that. He goes, that was three or four minutes. I didn't have to work. And <laughs> it was a big, it was, it was a big relief. Um, so the match was great. A lot of positive, all positive reviews and whatnot, but about a week later, we, I got cutbacks, and just as I was getting out there, 
we got dropped from uh, our contracts with WCW. Right. That sucks. Yeah. That sucks because you really did show yeah. something out there in that matchup. Uh, so, you know, uh, what was that situation like? You got a phone call from someone and how were you feeling? You just got onto a television match. You just got there and now it's like, oh, I've got to go back to where I was before. So this is in November, but I would say probably September through November the cuts were coming. There was also always like, oh shit, like who's getting cut? Like you started to see the company cutting back in spots and uh, Turner just letting, like they had everybody signed um, and just people letting go. It's like, oh shit, we're, we're probably going to be next here. Probably going to be next. Probably going to be next. Then we got on TV and everything looked around. I was like, all right, maybe we can actually breathe. Um, so we got called into Paul Orndorff's office and basically he, he, he's told us we were being let go. Um, really pretty, he pretty, pretty, pretty much wasn't very nice about it. Um, he doesn't like the small guys. Um, Jamie Noble, who, as we know, um, became one of the best, biggest cruiserweights of the time, currently still an agent with WWE, didn't know his name when he let us all go and basically said we were going to go nowhere and do nothing. So after that, we kind of walked out and it was just like, oh, shit. Um, I was just like, I immediately was like, I'm getting out of Atlanta. I don't like the area. I miss Tampa. And uh, I, I was back here that, that the next weekend, um, packed up and starting to move. I'm just like, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen a different way. I'm not staying up here in Atlanta. Most of the other guys sort of stayed up there and got, got a little work here and there. But I was just like, nah, I'm, I'm going back to Florida. I understand, and it's that's disappointing to hear that he would act like that and talk like that when all of these kids, their dreams right then and there are being taken away from them because of budget cuts or whatever. Um, you yeah. would think he would at least be like, you know, keep plugging along. You never know what happened on in the future. So that's disappointing to hear. I don't like that, but um, you know, some people are it, the way it, they are. It, it is what it is. Yeah, it's the business. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you move back to, to, you know, where you feel more comfortable. Um, what's in your mind at the time, what's your next step? What do you think? Are you like, okay, I've got to call Ron. Um, what, you know, uh, what, what, what's your next step in your career? How, how are you planning your future at this point? Well, at this point, I figured while well, I'm coming back to Florida, me and Ron were in contact all the time. Um, I was on a IPW show the following weekend up in Crystal River that they had here, and it was kind of like, he's back. Um, and it was just full steam ahead. At that point, IPW was really gaining some ground. Um, we're having a lot more shows, getting a lot more bigger names uh, come through the shows. Ron would get all kind of uh, independent superstars like Chris Daniels and stuff to come through. Excuse me, whatever big names that he could, we, we got through with a group during that time frame. We had AJ Styles there. Or Brian Danielson, um, all, all the big names at one point came through there, um, through like the Jeff Peterson Cup. I don't know if you watched any of that. Um, a really young superstar that was down here in Florida that he passed away. And then we had uh, Ron would have cruiserweight tournaments kind of in his honor. But everybody that was some, anybody that was somebody at that point were on those shows. Right. Uh, so I know that you spend the rest of your career at IPW and you end up like doing a lot of work behind the scenes as well. But 
did you still at that point did you still have a dream to 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 go back up to uh, I mean, unfortunately, WCW did go away within a, just over a year after you left, and um, uh, ECW is also gone. But uh, uh, did you have any dreams still to make it to you know the the WWF? Um, I did, but they were pretty much kind of squelched a bit as far as you know. There's not a lot of room for cruiserweights even at that point. They still didn't have that many. Um, and Jamie got brought in. Jimmy Yang got brought in. Both great talents, but. They didn't bring in a ton of the smaller guys. Um, so I was not really sure where it was going to happen or if it was going to happen. And I just kind of rolled with with IPW. Um, I've always had a full-time job on the side. So it was like, you know, if, if re- wrestling was never supposed to happen for me, it just kind of blossomed into it and I kind of went with it. Um, at the end of 2002, um, I was limping around really, really bad and finally went to the doctor and he was like, oh, you have a hip of a 75-year-old man. And I was just like, oh. And he goes, and your other hip, you're, you have to, this hip needs to be replaced. And your other one will need to be down the road. And at this point, I had just gotten married and we we're going to be having a kid soon. I'm just like, well, I guess this is it. And that's when I gave it up. I was just like, I, I, you know, I had a good run with it. Um, let me we'll go back to using my degree and, and do, working like a normal job. Um, I got to go a little bit farther and had a little run with this more than most people do. You know, just kind of count my blessings. And I wound up with a hip surgery, one at 32. Uh, at the time, one of the, the youngest person to get this procedure. And then when I was 38, I wound up getting my other one. So at that point, I was like, you know what? I loved it, but I'm gonna have to kind of. I'm gonna have to stop. I understand. I'm gonna ask you a couple more questions about having to retire in a, in a moment, but I I wanted to ask you about a couple more things that you were able to be a part of. Um, the 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 ECWA Super Eight tournament is obviously a very famous uh, independent wrestling tournament. Uh, it's the 26th of February, um, uh, and uh, sorry, it's uh, the the fourth annual Super Eight tournament. Uh, I, I right. looked at the results and I noticed that your you defeat uh, man you spoke of before Jeff Peterson in the first round, mm-hmm. but then I noticed in the semi final, um, Ace Darling was in the match against uh, I don't know if it was it was either Scoot Andrews or or Chris Daniels because they both went to the yeah. finals. Uh, what what happened there? Yeah. Okay, so the story with that is me and Jeff, Jeff Peterson, he lived up north, but he started, he was down here a lot of the time, and he would come to the school, and his uh, his uncle, Jim Kettner, had the ECWA, and, you know, the, the Super 8s and stuff like that, and he got, me and him started wrestling down here, and we had a program, we had some really tremendous matches, um, another small kid that was just one tough son of a gun, Um and we had some good matches, and he he sent Jim some tapes of us, and he liked it, so he brought us up, and we were going to be in the first round for the Super 8. Had this match planned out. It was going to be great, blah, blah, blah. We get in the ring. Starts out heavy. Starts out good. And one of the spots was he throws me out to the ring, and when I got thrown out, there was like the, the rails for the whole the crowd. They were like two bars kind of rails it was just a bar and then another bar and when i went when i went back i smashed the back of my head on the rail knocking me completely out 
Jeff did not realize this. And the next spot was he ran into the ring, came out straight through the ropes and takes me out. And I wasn't there. He went down in a heap. He got a concussion, got knocked out. I got knocked out. Um, we got back in the ring somehow and were able to continue the match. The match is like it's in slow motion at that point. I don't know how the hell we got through it. We did. Um, but afterwards, we were both effed up pretty bad. And Jim's just, I was, my, my, I was scheduled to go against Chris Daniels, which to this day okay. disappoints because um, we've had, we've crossed paths and promotions and stuff. But unfortunately, I never had a chance to wrestle him. And that was going to be when I did. Um, but Jim was like, no, it's, I clearly was in no state to wrestle. So, Ace Darling, who was there just hanging out, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think he even had his ring gear. Um, they wound up using him to take my spot, and uh, and then that kind of went from there. Uh, the following year, because we had such a, a good uh, good match and stuff, he offered me to come up, and I was going to wrestle Loki in the first match or the first uh, first round of the following year, but I had a broken wrist and I wasn't able to do that match. So that that was a little bit disappointing, um, but it was a good experience. Our match was really good up until. Even afterwards, it wasn't bad, but yeah, the the two the two concussions in the match <laughs> it took a toll on both of us. <laughs> Absolutely, and and another match that I had to bring up because uh, I don't, and I found a small dynamic in this match to be interesting because I know that you had been on a, a little special um, about the power plant um, when um, you were you're in WCW. Uh, you, you team with Jeremy Lopez for the third annual Brian Pillman Memorial Show at Schmidtfield House in Cincinnati. You take on Logan Kane and Rory Fox, who I believe is a guy who was on the MTV um, uh, special of uh, My Life as a Pro Wrestler, whatever it's called. Anyone out there yeah, who's yeah. a real diehard fan. I just thought it was interesting that two people on opposite sides who were kind of like coming up uh, in the business were also on two different specials from two different companies. I don't know. I just mm -hmm. thought it was interesting to bring that up, but uh, uh, tell me a little bit about this match and, and, and being on the show. That, that was definitely a, a monster show. I mean, there were superstars from every promotion where that still doesn't happen very often, but never happened back then. No. Um, there was, from, there was guys from WCW, ECW, WCW, the Independence, Japan, um, then Juan Regal, I believe, was the main event. Um, All right. It, 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 was, it was something else to be in with those names. was really, really big. And it was a big part of the ECWA rub. And the people that saw me from that, they got me the shot later in the year uh, on the Brian Pillman Memorial Show. Uh, definitely up there is one of the highlights of my career, being on the show with, with those with, – with, a stacked card yeah it was unbelievable awesome man yeah i believe that uh regal benoit match got regal another shot in wrestling with the wwe and he's been there ever yeah. since so and yeah. that was an incredible match i have seen that one um okay so i want to get back to the retirement uh once you were told by the doctor that this was it did you work at least one more match after that or had you already had your last match um, actually at that point, I just, I just was like, no, I'm, I'm not doing it anymore. Um, I really never did have an actual, like a retirement match, which looking back on it, I kind of really should have, um, uh, but was 
hurt up and banged up enough where I was just like, no, I'm not doing it. Um, basically my hip, um, like it was like grinding bone on bone. And I was just like, I'm, I'm limping around too much. Um, so I never had it probably could have, um, but just never did. Um, and then afterwards really kind of was like, what do I want to do? Do I want to continue with this? Um, I didn't really want to be a manager or, or anything at this point. I wanted to wrestle. So I was kind of disappointed and probably with my personality should have went along the lines of like a, a manager or some sort of role. But, um, the fact that I had to quit really kind of left a sour spot in my, for a while. And it wasn't too long after that, then IPW wasn't, wasn't running shows anymore. So it was kind of like, I just kind of was, that was kind of it for right now, at least at that point. Right. So, um, did you stay involved with wrestling, um, at all after this time period where you would, um, you know, we're going through this kind of, time period in your life where you had to kind of realize I, I'm not going to be able to do this again, but, um, in the ring, but was there a time where you, you at least got involved a li little bit here and there? Yeah, I, I would be involved in some of the IPW in some of, uh, some of their bigger tag matches and stuff. Um, I was, uh, for one of the Peterson cups, the main event was Roderick strong, Chris hero and justice in a three way. I got to ref that, um, uh, another guy I would have loved loved to wrestle, uh, Roderick down, uh, Roderick Strong, awesome talent. Um, so I, I would come back for I would referee things here and there and kind of come out and do a few things here and there, but nothing on a, a steady on a steady basis. Um, but definitely something I miss um, to to this day. I still love the business and love everything about it. Um, uh, something I'm really proud of. I kind of wish it would wish it was more to it for me, but. You know, it is, it, it is what it is. Yeah, and, and I'm going to put the question to you, bro. Um, IPW Hardcore Wrestling is obviously a, a big part of your life. Ron, you know, all the other guys that I've had on the show that were part of that company, you know, I've had guys that were a part of uh, Wildside who have also asked this question. A documentary. Do you reckon there would ever be a possibility of an IPW uh, documentary about the history of the company coming out one day? Um, that's a good question. I've actually something I've really pondered and, and would have liked to put to, would would like to put together because I would be the one that would do it with all the having all the footage, um, but never really had the opportunity or the time or the financial you know like hey let's do this. But there's definitely a story to be told. Um, if you ever and down the road want to do something like this, um, strictly just an IPW, we can do that as well. But there's there's a lot of stories to be told. As a matter of fact, I even wrote up a short pilot that I sent out to Vice TV, and uh, there was a few others a couple of years ago. This is right at, right when they start talking about the dark side of the ring. Um, it was like a, I think it was like a 15 week pilot that I came up with uh, about 45 minutes a piece, which kind of broke down all the different things with IPW. But unfortunately, that never got anywhere, um, and it's just still something that's on the back burner. Maybe someday something would happen. Uh, if I had the opportunity to do that, I would definitely be something I'd be interested in. And I would too. That's the kind of thing like, you know, I'm interviewing someone like Bill Barron's, then I want to seek out a NWA Wildside documentary, but nothing like that exists. Same thing with yeah. IPW. Like if I'm interested interviewing you or Ron, then I would want to check that out, but it doesn't exist. So I hope 
something like that can exist for both companies and any other company out there um, that yeah. really deserves a bit of a spotlight on it. And for a lot of people out there, they don't realize how many great people came through these companies, how many special talents came through these companies during that time period. Um, it, these are these are unsung heroes of the wrestling business, these companies, um, as yeah, far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah, I agree. Glad to hear that. Um, current state of the wrestling business, do you still watch? What do you think of how things are going in the wrestling business right now? I still follow the business totally as much as I did back in the day. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a really unique time right now. Um, you know, in the past, um, there wasn't a lot of work to be had. I'll tell you what, here in Florida, there's a lot of work. If you wanted to be working just about every day here, um, you could work a pretty steady schedule on the indies. Um, but your main goal is always to get to WWE. And if, let's just say right now I was in my heyday and I was like when I got signed with WCW, sending out promos. I don't think I would send one to WWE. I really don't like the work or see where the company's going. Um, there's just that they've decimated NXT. Um, just, they're just letting people go left and right. These people that are, you know, there one day gone the next day. Um, I don't care much right now for the state of the WWE. Um, luckily AEW has provided a spark for the wrestling fans out there that, place for them to show their emotion and stuff i mean you see the crowds um there are some hot crowds and it's very very positive to see that it's not just some generated tv like program looking thing it's there's real emotion they're they're trying to get their, their the tone the, the the cons are trying to get that emotion from the people and with the people they're bringing in they're doing it right and um if i was to be doing it right now i would try to get in there but you know, spread out for the the guys that are just starting. There's a lot of indie work. There's a lot of places that are, before, if you wrestled in one place, you couldn't wrestle in another. But now you can pretty much, that's that forbidden door thing. It's, you can pretty much do what you want. Um, and that's refreshing to see because it's always like, even here in Florida, unless you know, if you work for Ron, you can't work for this guy or that guy. Because mm -hmm. you work for Ron, they're not going to, they're not going to hire you, you know, 10 miles down the road. Um, that sort of thing doesn't seem like it really goes on anymore. And you see all these crossover stars, uh, Moxley and the guys from New Japan coming in. It's, it's, it's great to see. Um, great to see the atmosphere and energy. Um, AEW has a lot, of, a lot of good things going on with it right now. Uh, Eddie Kingston, man, he's, he's somebody that come up from the Indies. Talk about somebody that's red hot and can talk and talk and just, just an awesome talent. They got Chris Jericho. Uh, Jericho, uh, talk about somebody that's recreated themselves over and over and over and over. If I was to give anybody some advice, and uh, you know, a young guy is to um, don't be afraid to change. Kind of just look at Chris Jericho. He's been around forever, and he's changed with the times, changed his gimmick, and that's that's what's made his longevity. Uh, and he's still going at it. Definitely, bro. And, you know, it, it's not just AEW. You know, there's Impact Wrestling, there's MLW, there's Game Changer Wrestling. Mm -hmm. There's a whole bunch of options. <clears throat> Unfortunately, Ring of Honor, I don't know what's going on there. That sounds like a real yeah. sad story at the moment, but there's a lot of options out there. The NWA is still, you know, doing their best right now as well. So, you know, I think things are they're going to be positive in the future for a lot of people. And there's, there's still a lot of options out there. Um, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, continue. There's definitely a lot of options out there that the boys didn't have in the past. 
Um, I'll tell you what, I wouldn't have wanted to been a wrestler last year with the whole COVID. That had to just, it would, it would have really sucked to be a wrestler at any point last year with the whole COVID thing and wrestling in front of no crowds and uh, yeah, I would not, I would not, I'm, I'm glad that I wasn't in the wrestling business last year just to get, I feel bad, but everybody, now that everything's coming out of it, there's a lot more opportunities that are available for the guys and paydays to be had. So it's, it's, it's definitely brighter on this side of it, but last year would have been a tough time to be a wrestler. Definitely. It was, it was tough to be a fan, uh, especially watching yeah, WrestleMania yeah. without a crowd. Oh my God. Uh, so, so <laughs> on that note, um, that was going to be the first year I went to WrestleMania. Um, that was going to be, it was here in Tampa and was all set to go i had a big week planned there was a bunch of shows here in the area uh, i was going to wrestlemania and then the following week i was going out with some buddies to vegas and covid squashed everything so yeah and then when they did eventually have the their the show here in tampa it just yeah it was it, it, it wasn't the same Definitely not, definitely not. But I'm glad everything was kind of back. To, it's just so nice to see fans in the in the in the audience again. Um, but back to yes. you, bro. Um, I, I wanted to ask you. We get to the tail end here. Regrets? Anything you would change from your time in the pro wrestling business? Uh, no regrets. Uh, if I was to do it all again, I would do it all again. Um, I'm proud of my accomplishments. Like I said, I didn't quite make it to the big big time, um, but made it far enough that you know. It's something I can say. Um, not everybody gets a chance to to live out their dream. Um, I did for a short while, and something I'm really proud of. So I wouldn't go back and change, even though I hit two hip replacements. Um, I am getting around fine now. I'm perfectly good with my hips. I wouldn't wrestle, but I'm I I can exercise, and I'm good with that. So I don't look back on it. Um, I do wish maybe I was still a part of it in, in some shape or fashion, but I uh, wouldn't change a thing. The people that I've met, the friends I've made. Um, the insanity that I've seen and just the good times that I had, it, it, it's irreplaceable. Excellent to hear. And before I get to my final segment of the show here, bro, uh, I wanted to give you an opportunity to plug anything, YouTube channels, social media. Where can anyone out there who's a big Jet Jaguar fan find you? Um, the best bet would be if you go to YouTube, um, our YouTube IPW Hardcore Wrestling um, brings up all of our, our past. We have a bunch of cards, a bunch of the boys playlists are on there. Um, I'm on there as well. Or if you did a jet Jaguar, uh, pro wrestler, um, you'll, you'll see a bunch of that as well. Um, so that, that's, that's really the best part way to kind of see where our old IPW and the old jet Jaguar stuff is. Excellent. Everyone out there, it'll all be in the description on YouTube. Check it out. Trust me, I just looked on there a little bit earlier. There's a plethora of things in, in there. If you're ever bored one day and want to be entertained by something, trust me, that'll be fun. Um, okay, brother, uh, we're getting to five-second frenzy. It's the final segment okay. of the show. 12 quick-fire questions for quick-fire answers. I know sometimes when you ask an, a wrestler to answer a question within five seconds, it can be a little difficult. But I think I think <laughs> I, I, I trust you, bro. <laughs> I trust you. Uh, I trust okay. you. <laughs> okay, first question here, Jet Jaguar, five-second frenzy. Who is your favorite wrestler of all time? Chris Benoit. Excellent choice. Over the years, who would you say was your favorite opponent? Uh, I would probably say uh, Jeff Peterson, Jamie Noble, 
uh, Lex Lovett. There's a handful, Scoot Andrews, um, quite a few actually. Excellent, bro. Uh, big fan of Scoot Andrews. Had him on the show a little while ago. Great guy. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. If you could pick one match on your time in, in your time in professional wrestling, what would be the favorite match that you performed in? I would say it was that WCW match with Elix Skipper. Um, that was probably where I said I shined the best, I looked the best, and we was on national television. Excellent choice, bro. It was a fantastic match. Moving away from wrestling now, do you have a favorite book? Um, no, not really. Um, not a, not really much of a reader, to be honest with you. That's okay, not a problem. Uh, favorite TV show? Um, currently, right now, I just finished up the American Horror uh, American Horror Story series that I just recently got into. Um, I really enjoyed them. Granted, they're a little bit old. Uh, recent stuff, uh, the Dexter show is back. I uh, really do. That's uh, that's picking up. I uh, definitely enjoy that. Um, as far as old stuff, um, I'm a big Seinfeld fan. Uh, I'm a big uh, Three Stooges fan. I used to incorporate some uh, Three Stooges into my uh, routine in the ring, curly-like. Uh, <laughs> um, and, of course, I'm going back. I'm a big Godzilla fan as well. Excellent choices there, bro. Uh, favorite film? Mm, probably the the first three Star Wars, the Star Wars, uh, the first the first three. Of course, I mean you can't go wrong there. Uh, no. Favorite musical artist? Uh, all time Motley Crue. Uh, that was uh, my favorite right. growing up. Yeah, and still, 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 still a fan. <laughs> right, I got a theory. Of, I don't know if you can see it because of this light. Probably uh-huh. not. Uh, okay. Theater uh, Pain Tattoo. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. They're not not the album a lot of people probably would uh pick as their, you know, favorite. And it's probably not my favorite. Uh I, I would say Shout Out the Devil is probably my favorite album. But yeah, yeah. Uh when I was like 18, 19, every weekend mm-hmm. when I was getting ready to go out and, and look for some girls <laughs> and party. Yep. When I'd have my shower, I'd have a beer in the shower whilst I'm getting myself ready in the bathroom from start to finish, Theatre of Pain. Tell me. <laughs> Sweet. That's a great <laughs> album. It is. It, it really matter, is. As a matter of fact, we were, I was talking earlier about plans that got squashed. Uh, one of the things I had that got squashed was I was going to the Motley Crue, Def Leppard. Oh, of course. That got, yeah, that got squashed too. So that was a disappointment. But uh, yeah, I, I saw them a few times, uh, 89, 90. I saw wow. them with I saw them uh, with Guns N' Roses when Guns wow. N' Roses had the app the Appetite album. Um, they weren't uh, Guns N' Roses was just starting to Welcome to the Jungle just was starting to come out and they weren't even that that big yet. And yeah, that was one of the bigger ones. I saw them in the late nineties. I was a big concert guy. All the uh, old old hair bands and whatnot. Oh my God, dude, that is amazing. I'm so jealous. Imagine me, like I'm 34 years old now. I got into this music when I was 19. So, I mean, yeah, <laughs> nowhere yeah. near. Like, I was born in 87. So like, I, ne- I never got to see any of them until they were much older. But to be able to see Guns N' Roses just when they're on the cusp of, of their greatness, that too is, I'm, I'm very jealous, bro. I'm very jealous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, that, that, was, that was something else. Got to see a lot of good bands at that point. Um, then once the, uh, the old Seattle uh, grunge scene came, I really kind of got away from the music. I didn't care for that flavor so much. 
Um, but yeah, it was a, definitely a cool, cool time in my life. I was a big concert goer. Excellent, bro. Yeah, no, I love Rat. I love Poison. I love Dokken. I love, yep. I love all yep. of that stuff, man. Cinderella. Uh, I wanna, <laughs> where did they say it was Dokken's under lock and key? It was like their 35th anniversary or something just the other day or something like that? Yeah. Unbelievable, bro. I'm glad to hear that we have such a good taste in music. Uh, moving out of the arts now, bro, uh, we've only got five left. Favorite food? Uh, pizza and wings. Pizza is a very popular answer on this show. Uh, as, a matter, as, a matter, as a matter of fact, the shirt I'm wearing, uh, Thomas P's, a local establishment here, one of my favorites, great food and pizza. <laughs> Excellent. So, I mean, that might be the answer to the next question. Do you have a favorite place to eat on the road? Um, I wouldn't say on the road, but uh, one of my favorites here in the Citrus Park, Tampa area is definitely Thomas P's. It's a good environment, a lot of music, uh, great service, and a good place to hang out. Cool. Um, third last one, favorite alcoholic beverage? Uh, Bud Lights. I'm a Bud Light guy. Very nice, very nice. Second last one here, the naughtiest one of Five Second Frenzy. Your favorite female body part. You're going to look at a, a good-looking lady. Where do the eyes of Jet Jaguar go to first? <laughs> um, uh, they, they just slowly go down and they, they slowly come back up. The, 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 whole, the whole picture in general. The whole package. I like that. I'll tell yep. you this, you know, yep. Don Morocco told me that he was an ass man. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> but your answer is kind of similar to Nikita Koloff. He said he likes the shape of a woman. I like that one. I think that's a classy yep. answer. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> and the last one here, bro, uh, on five second friends, your favorite curse word. Oh, definitely the F-bomb. Uh, definitely the F-bomb. Unfortunately, probably dropped them more than I should. I don't think I dropped one on here. Um, but yeah, that's definitely, that's definitely my go-to. <laughs> yeah, no, I was thinking as asked, I don't think he said one bad word on this show, so I will do it for you. Jet Jaguar's favorite curse word is fuck. Thank you. <laughs> well, brother, um, I, I really want to thank you so much for your time on the show. This has been a really fun conversation, and I can tell if you yeah. and I hung out in person and we just got a, a slab of, of of Bud Lights to go through, we would have a great time. I've really uh, enjoyed connecting with you, and I think what I want to say as we tie off this interview is, is um, you should be so proud of what you achieved in professional wrestling because – uh, I believe six years you were in the wrestling business and within that short amount of time, you actually managed to get signed to world championship wrestling during the Monday night wars. Now you might've only had a couple of matches, uh, dark matches and one match on television, but still with the amount of, 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 of talent going in the professional wrestling business at the time to get a contract. That is insane. To be able to say that you were actually on WCW and Saturday night is insane. So you should be so proud that you were one of those guys that got to be a part of such a big thing, like, you know, professional wrestling in the late nineties. So I just hope you're very proud of what you've accomplished, my friend. I, I definitely appreciate that. Uh, very, very much on the kind words. And yeah, I, I, like I said, it wasn't the biggest, but it's something I'm very proud of. And, and again, thank you for such kind words. And yeah, you, you sound like we would be able to sit down and just talk some wrestling and drink some beers and just BS. I think we probably have a good time, my friend.
<laughs> Excellent, bro. Well, hopefully once all this COVID thing's over, we can make sure that happens whenever I visit the United States. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I want to I want to okay. thank you for your time, bro. I uh, really appreciate it. It's been great. Uh, thanks for having me, Carl. And uh, everybody out there, thanks for uh, listening to my story. I appreciate it. And you guys have a good one. Thank you, Jet Jaguar. And thank you as well, just as Jet has. Thank you for watching this show here, the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WZWA Network. I'm California alongside my new friend, Jet Jaguar, and we will see you down the road. Thank you, guys. Take care.